Jotunheim, the heart of the network of the gods, miles of bone, sinew, and synapse. It's time to tear it all down. Ragnarok is coming, and it's you. So how does everyone feel about taking down a god? I'm all right. I can take it or leave it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Pretty regular Monday. <laughs> On a scale from one to ten, like a six and a half. Is that good? <laughs> <laughs> That's barely getting by. So Idis and Ronnie and Aki, you have all been sort of dropped at the threshold of the uh, the chamber of, of the heart of Tyr, right? The wrecking crew or what is left of them are getting triaged and taken out of the situation. And it's now your turn. If memory serves, not much left of the wrecking crew. No. 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 We did we know how many went in beforehand? You tell me. So so you were in a room with Roy, and Roy had this like holographic sort of 3D projection of the wrecking crew kind of doing their thing when they first entered the panopticon i am i would guess that in general the panopticon is kind of a a dead zone like not a whole lot of signal gets out of there but what the wrecking crew did in that time probably allowed there to be something so i think it's one of those situations where you saw the entrance you saw there were four people just like armed to the teeth heading into this place there was an hour of radio silence and then, like, you get this crackly image of what the Chamber of the Hand looks like afterward. Mm-hmm. Which is to say, like, a pile of rubble, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> yeah, not not much beyond that. Yeah. We know that Siv was for sure taken out. Like, that was... That was confirmed, unfortunately. Yeah, without without question. That, 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 that happened. We don't really... Well, because... <laughs> Uh, Nidhogg didn't take out Grokend, but something else did. How did how did Grokend get? Did, I said I listened back to this boy. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> I know. I know for a fact that at least also Sigrin also died. Yeah. Okay. Oh, because Sigrin, Sigrin, Sigrin blew up the chamber. The whole thing. Sigrin blew up the chamber with the yeah. hand inside of it, and like brought the whole thing down on its head. I thought that Nidhogg got out. And was the only one. Yeah, I remember feeling pretty <laughs> proud of that. Yeah, Nid, so. Nid, Nidhogg turned and ran and like made it out okay. Completely. And then I think everyone else, everyone else, I believe, died. Yeah, so. Yes. When you are set down there, you see there are other people who are sort of part of the resistance who are triaging as much as possible. And like they're they're wrapping up Siv and, and Sigrun's bodies. There's a search going on for Magnus's body. It's nowhere to be found as of right now. Mm. I think it's entirely possible that Groken survived that because Magnus had made a deal to let Groken take over the right. physical form, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. They got so much free time. So I think that even if the sort of giant construct was destroyed, and how can you even tell when it's made of the same stuff as the room? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think mm-hmm. that Grokend probably dragged Magnus's body away somewhere into the Panopticon. So I think a search is going on. I think the three of you easily sort of overhear that chatter because this is like, this is rarefied air. This is 
where this is where the resistance kind of never expected to get to. And so no one is like being clandestine about this. They're trying to get in and get out because who knows if more guards from the Panopticon are going to come storming in at any time or what's going to happen. And I think all three of you have an earpiece in. So at least for now, you've got Roy in your ears. Mm -hmm. I don't love that. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -mm. I don't recall getting along with Roy. Get in there now. Go. This is a window. If you miss this window, these people have died for nothing. Do you, do you not think do you not think that we're moving? What have we been doing this whole time, Roy? All we have is an audio feed. Are you moving? <laughs> oh, well, okay. So the three of us are walking. We're moving down a hallway. Really, I'm look. You know, we're all kind of taking a moment to survey. Um, we're all sort of studying the scenario. Is this? Oh, shut Roy the is- fuck up and get in there. <laughs> all right, bye. And I physically take out the earpiece and I stash it in a pocket. <laughs> Thank you, Ronnie. I f- that makes me feel a bit better. Whew. Okay, so, you know, pulse check. I'm terrified, but I can feel inside of me that I, I probably... Grow is feeling okay. Like, I don't know if Bone Bonded can really feel fear, and Aki is leaning forward. I still imagine they are... I'm going to retell my image of them based mm-hmm. on how I recall, not necessarily based <laughs> on what I've ever said out loud. Because, yeah, you, you sometimes get these images of these characters that yeah, you played for, sure. for some time. And Aki, yeah, tall, long-legged. They have this weave that goes all the way down to, like, the back of their legs. It's long and black, super incredibly long hair. Dark skin, but, like, the color of... Oh, God... What's that coffee type? You need a little more detail than that. <laughs> I know, I know. I always hate being compared to coffee, but sometimes it's just like, here's something that's dark when you add something lighter and it gets to be like a nice, like, darker than caramel. Cafe con leche? I think so. Not a cafe mocha, but <laughs> doesn't matter. They're beautiful. They have long nails, long lashes. And most importantly, they have these like absurdly tall platform, buckled up knee high boots that just all the way up to the knees. It's excessive. Is it appropriate for an adventure like this? Could you even call this adventure we're trying to, you know, impact and change so much? Doesn't matter to Aki because what matters is they look fabulous. And we are here to, after all, be the face Mm -hmm. of everything. I I would like you to know that Better than half of this new description was how you described (laughs) Aki before. Good, good. And I really like the additions because it's like you got dolled up for the camera to be the the face of the revolution. (laughs) It's fantastic. (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think that, you know, not to speak too much for for Ronnie, but I think that both Idis and Ronnie know that, like, of the three of them being the face of the revolution, like, Aki is the face of the revolution. I actually think Ronnie is kind of doing the opposite. I think that Ronnie is is getting a little dolled down because I remember the major drama for Ronnie going into this was when we had our our moment seeing the wrecking crew, Ronnie had a moment of realization of, oh, I'm not a face of the revolution. I am much closer to the wrecking crew than I am these big photogenic heroes. And so I think Ronnie is very consciously, she's doing her hair and, and like he's kind of like, He's he's got traditionally this kind of feathered sort of mullet and a, a headband and like he's doing it up and they're kind of like braiding their hair very specifically braiding it up into like MMA style 
like squared up braids is like tying uh, tying yes. their hair back and like t- dabs a little bit of the a little bit of the grease on underneath the uh the, like uh, on the cheeks and is very specifically like putting on uh her fingerless gloves and is getting into what is like not at all a photogenic but like a work mode and like adjusting his sort of military jacket and is getting into like the the most utilitarian style like work gear possible and like as as she's walking he's kind of like doing all of these things and very specifically sort of like getting ready for what is about to happen and to like go to work very good for as much as both of you are like sort of playing into these dual roles, I think Idis is more like, you know, dear adoring public, I don't think about you at all. And, <laughs> you know, like this simply was not factoring into the equation whatsoever. So, yeah, I mean, since everybody else has sort of taken a moment of, of description, I think I'll, I'll, I'll do the same here and lean a little bit in. Idis has sort of a, an unruly mane of, of hair typically, which is at this point pulled back into probably like a sensible low ponytail. It's kind of like a dark brown grayish sort of streaked through with you know the occasional like ah taking care of this community is going to give me white hairs and it has but very much the idea of you know looking kind of like a wolf's mane just kind of errant and and never really well pulled together but very practically tied back at this point i think probably like coveralls and sturdy boots and like a backpack and a, a sort of shawl scarf wrapped around because it's something that, you know, can very practically be used to tear off into bandages or to cover up your face if there's a camera in view or even to, like, you know, make a makeshift sling or something. It's one of those articles of clothing that on the surface seems kind of like, well, why are you wearing a scarf to the revolution? But is a thing that just, like, Itis likes the security <laughs> of having blank cloth to do tasks with. And it's just a very practical element of the outfit there. I think is as we sort of walk, you know, checking like compartments on the utility belt, making sure that everything is where it needs to be, just trying very, very hard to busy himself with all of these little tasks of, you know, preparedness because it feels like the only tangible thing that can be done under these circumstances. And like, oh God, it would be so embarrassing if we got all the way to Tears Chamber and the thing that brought us down was that somebody didn't bring a Band-Aid. Like, I think that's kind of where <laughs> Idis's head is, is that she is like, you know, Somebody's going to feel really, really silly if, like, we don't have a screwdriver or, you know, whatever. So, like, this is what I can do. This is what I can do right now. Like, Aki, you're doing great. Ronnie, you're doing amazing, sweetie. But, like, what what do we have that we're going to need that we will regret if mm-hmm. we walk in there without? Um, and mm-hmm. I think that that's, you know, that's very much, like, a sort of soothing practice. <laughs> um, some people, I think, get very, very nervous thinking about all of the details. But for Idis, that's, like, everything. Fantastic. (laughs) You're checking all those details. You can each sort of hear Roy's voice kind of chattering to you from the earpieces that are no longer in your ears. And as you sort of walk up the dais that I don't think the the three of you know this, but as players, you know, this is where the Hand of Tear was sort of like stationed in front of this big Mm -hmm. sort of archway door. And it's one of the few things in the room that still is pretty much intact after like the bombing that happened so it still has that that sort of bluish white anime neon glowing all over it and that glow is like kind of cutting through the dust and it's kind of it's almost an ambient like it's foggy in here now almost Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but when you get up to it you can see that there's like an access panel on it that indicates you know sort of status like in runes it it, you know open standby closed Mm -hmm. and it's set to open this is 
This just means we can go on through, I think. I think we, we were told that we were going to have the door open for us, and I think this is... Yeah, this feels right. Okay, so I... Pulse check was really quickly. What are... What are... Are we armed? Oh, I mean, I'm always armed. You know that. I... I don't know if you're making a joke right now. Well, okay. I mean, on the one hand, no. And and he opens up his jacket and there are so many knives. And he starts, like, <laughs> doing the, like, does the magician sleeves thing. And there is there are knives and there are knives. On the one hand, no. Literally, I am covered in weapons from head to toe. But on, on the other hand, okay, that doesn't make me feel great. You'd think that would make me at least feel a little bit comfortable or prepared and it very much does not i think i'm i'm feeling the same i mean you're probably more armed than any of us i think we're sort of counting on it <laughs> yeah oh oh <sighs> no pressure oh hear that groa <clears throat> yeah it's fine it's fine okay idis do you want to go in first uh well you know we could take a vote but <sighs> that might just delay the inevitable so yeah people died <laughs> come on <clears throat> hurry up I assume Roy is lecturing us. I don't, I can't hear a word of it, but I have to assume. I'll catch you all up to speed later. Yeah, as as you've gotten closer to the door, the voice has gotten, like, fainter. And if you mm-hmm. pick up the earpiece real quick, you can hear Roy is still going. But it's <laughs> Idis like... has left the earpiece in, I do want to clarify. Everyone else is, like, misbehaving, but Idis oh, is very okay. much like, there's a 10% chance that we get something vital at a key moment. Fantastic. <laughs> Idis, then you are definitely aware that as you have gotten closer to the door, the voice coming through has gotten, like, crackly, mm-hmm. and there's, like, interference. It, it's it's almost like a cell phone cutting out, but there's, it's, instead of it just being sort of, like, silence in the gaps, it's almost like this subsonic hum. Okay. Like it, 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 it's there's something that's interfering with the signal in here, and you have a feeling it's the same kind of thing that was interfering with the rest of the Wrecking Crew's footage being broadcast. I think this is where our help ends. All right. Well, what you you hear the earpiece squawk, <laughs> and then it's it's just more static again. Onward and upwards. Oh, okay. What is the manner of like going forward from here? Is it a door? Is it like a a floor hatch like what where are we actually literally going i know that it says open on it but yeah there's a, there's an archway that's sort of set into another another chamber another room okay. that's about nine feet tall at the apex and it kind of comes to a a, a little scalloped point and the panel is a is a typical access panel right if you mm-hmm. just palm the panel that says open the doors should in theory open okay i think as as we're standing there Ronnie looks around and is like, so before we open this door, I have one thing to say. And he looks at both of you. Okay. You're both going to do great. We're all going to crush this. And at the end of the day, we're going to do exactly what we were sent here for. And she smashes her hand onto that keypad (laughs) or onto that like scanner. Okay. So I, as the narrator, Ronnie, have a question for you. Is Ronnie Ronnie's real name? No. What is Ronnie's real name? His real name is... Roy Jr. <laughs> Roy, Roy to Revenge of Roy. <laughs> Ilyara Torvis. You slam your hand on the panel and you players would recognize the same sort of voice that was like the constant stream of names from the Hand of Tear from the, the previous mm-hmm. fight sort of rings out through the panel. Ilyana Torvis. Identity. Accepted. Access. Granted. Well, we love to get let into a party. Are we going to comment on that? Do you have the palm of somebody dead? No, I think that we've been granted special elite access, probably because I'm very cool and everybody wants to be my friend. <laughs> Dang it, Ronnie! 
as he is ah. saying that, like, as the doors open, Ronnie is, like, walking back. Like, Ronnie is saying that backing through the door before, like, spinning <laughs> on her heels to walk forward. Goddamn, so cool. The entire archway is probably about six feet wide, and it looked like a solid uniform piece of metal that splits down the middle and begins to swing out and the hinges are actually set behind another solid looking piece of metal so there's like bars of metal running up and then a curved interior for the door that you can tell the entire hinge mechanism is securely on the inside so it could not be accessed in any way shape or form and the door sort of there's a slight hiss but otherwise they swing open and there is a dark long passageway in front of you ronnie ronnie backing up into the darkness spins on their heels and walks forward takes two steps itis yeah i'm asking you this because i know that the answer is yes do you have a flashlight (laughs) do i have a flashlight you're wearing a utility vest so (laughs) okay thank god i was like this is not one of my three items this would be so embarrassing (laughs) it's more of like where is the flashlight i think that itis smiles and has a, a rare little moment of a rare little moment of, of pride on their face and is like, huh, I have three flashlights. <laughs> oh, that is why we are friends. Teamwork. Everybody plays their part. Idis, are you, are you and Aki entering? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. As you step up to hand the flashlight to Ronnie, when you cross the threshold of the door, the same speaker reads out, Idis, folk, access, granted. I, and again, I should have asked that. Is, is Idis your real name? Idis is my real name. Okay. And Aki yeah. is Aki Trigvi, your real name? Correct. Okay. And when the when you cross the threshold, like walking up to take a flashlight from, from uh, Idis's hand, the speaker sa- speaks, Aki Trigvi, access, granted. Groa, access. And there's a pause, granted. <sighs> and like the cadence of the mechanical voice is a little bit different. It's It's... It makes it feel almost like it's not an automated mm-hmm. system, but there there is some kind of intelligence that was actively analyzing who was crossing this threshold. And there was some resistance that had to be overcome to not trip something or something was strange when when Groa was granted access. It was it was not as clinical as the rest of the readings. Spooky. I think with like very wide eyes, Aki meets Iris's gaze and he's like I don't know why, but I have broken out in the worst sweat. (laughs) And when you get past the sort of span of the doors, as soon as you're out of the way of them, they begin to close behind you. And like, Aki, you've got those wide eyes and you've got sweat sort of running down your face. And there is not a booming thud of doors closing, but there is a click and almost a hiss as if there's some pressurization happening. Mm Mm-hmm. And for a moment, you're standing there in the dark with nothing but these flashlights to light the way. And then there's a thunk of power coming on and like these clinical white lights start down the hallway, turning on and they stop about, say, 30 feet in front of you. Ronnie stashes the flashlight in a pocket. The flashlight, you were so paranoid. If you drop that, you will regret it until the day you die. I would never in my life cross uh, Idis with a flashlight. <laughs> I'm going to give my flashlight back. I have no pockets, really. <laughs> That's fair. I'm, I'm made of pockets. I am a human pocket. <laughs> Do you proceed down the hallway? I think we're ready. Okay. So roughly every six feet or so, every two meters, when you cross into 
a section of light, the next section turns on in front of you. And as you get about 30 feet away from the door, that section behind you turns off. So you've got like this walking wall of light that is escorting you down down this long hallway. It takes about a minute of walking to to get to sort of the end of this. And when it comes within range of sort of this this moving light that is traveling with you, another doorway is like illuminated and it is a much older looking design, right? Like it almost looks like it's carved from wood, but it's obviously current materials, right? It's not it's not a wooden door, but it really like it gives you that feeling. It's something old, something ancient. Okay. And set in the doorway at the at the lintel is the symbol of Tear, which you've not seen. It's not around the Panopticon. It's not anywhere, but it is his like his traditional symbol, like the bind rune that stands for Tear. Mm-hmm. Do we recognize that symbol? Groa definitely does. Did we pay attention in vacation Bible school? Like that seems like the kind of thing that would be in cyberpunk Viking vacation Bible school. Alex, you are more right than you even can can know. Like that is in this day and age when the gods have moved from traditional models of worship to just sort of pulling on the life force of humanity, these symbols vanished away. Like what use is there to identify yourself when everybody knows you because you control such a an important or oppressive mm-hmm. piece of society. And I know, like I said, Groa definitely recognizes it and tells you so, Aki. Like, you just hear that rumble in the back of your mind. Tear. Oh, okay. Yeah, this this is tear. Confirmed. A hundred percent. Well, at least we know we're in the right place. We are going in the right... Are we ready for this? I, 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 I keep asking because I... It's not that I'm having second guesses. It's just... <sighs> I mean, ready or not, we're here. All right, I don't make the best decisions, and I just don't want to make this one of them. I feel like any bad decisions that we've made have already been made at this point, and the only decision we have is to step through this threshold. Okay, as long as we do it together. Ida, are you ready? I don't think that's a privilege we're going to have, but <laughs> I'm willing. Whose hand goes to open the door? Ronnie, y- you can go open the door. I, uh, all right, yeah, fine, 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 fine. You did such a good job last time. I think that I think that as much as Ronnie is protesting in the back of his mind is there uh, they are clearly like processing like look if this goes wrong and this door thing is going to fry someone it's going to be it's going to be me. And so they are kind of like walk up and with like it, like they'll they'll kind of like protest to kind of throw a little bit of a fit but they'll also put their hand on the on the panel with no hesitation. Well this isn't a panel door. This actually has like handles that you would have to physically oh. turn. Yes, and and as <laughs> your hand fashion. approaches the handle, it turns before your hand can touch it, and one side just sort of <clears throat> creaks open, and there is an old and sort of like dusty smell. I'm imagining that what you're smelling is, think of like an attic on a hot day that no one's been up to this year yet. And everything's just sort of settled. It's not quite dust burning off of a furnace for the first time in winter, but it's it's akin to that. Mm-hmm. But I don't mm-hmm. think any of you have smelled anything like that as characters because it's so humid in Jotunheim. There's mm-hmm. no place that's dry enough to to have this kind of effect. And kind of this puff of warm air flows out as well. All right. 
well, uh, the door is open. Let's not get into details and specifics about how and why, because I don't have any answers that you're going to like, but <laughs> I guess it's onward. So, Ronnie, you push the door open the rest of the way, and the three of you proceed in? Yes, indeed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Carefully. As you do, the lights behind you dim, and it, it takes a little while for your eyes to adjust. Aki, your eyes adjust the fastest because you've got Groa sort of like pulling information in from the ambient network as well. Mm-hmm. The sense that you're getting from Groa is that this is strange. It's almost like he's trying to access a digital to analog converter of some kind. Like there's a point at which his access sort of stops or can go a little bit, but it feels very different. Like if you had a sensor hooked up to the root of a tree, right? And you can read data from it, but you don't know what it's like to be the tree root. Mm-hmm. And it's it's this weird, you get these spots of numbness in your mind, Aki, that are like Groa's sort of network perception where Groa is casting around to like link up to things and there are linkages, but what's beyond that is not really accessible. It's there, but it's not active in the way that everything else is. Okay. I think as the three of us kind of take our first couple steps in and, you know, maybe there's like that kind of puff up of dust as we are the first couple of steps to, you know, take a physical shape in here. Aki kind of processes a lot of that and then she turns to the two of them. So not to alarm anyone. Uh, Don't, don't, don't be incredibly concerned. But um, if I had to explain how this place feels, have you ever tried to utilize the energy of a potato and you connect it and it can power something, but you can't actually read any of the potato data because it's, it's, it's organic and it's not, it doesn't speak in the same binary code that we understand and it just it feels so strange. I, I can't, I can't, I've never felt anything like it. I have never done anything like this, but I would bet all of the money in my worldly possession that Idis has done this maybe a dozen times. <laughs> Idis, how close am I? What's my number ring? Well, I was actually kind of thinking that it's probably more akin to trying to understand this metaphor. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I I I I I love the three of us like actually laughing in this moment. It just feels like the right like us like cracking of like of like we are in such a space. This is such a space that I think like Ronnie is actually like laughing in a way that like I think the two of you probably have noticed this. Like Ronnie is traditionally I don't know if you've ever seen Ronnie tense in your in your in your time mm-hmm. as friends. Ronnie has been unbelievably tense this whole time and this is the first time that like they have like let go of that yeah. tension laughing and like ribbing you and laughing at these jokes is the first time they've kind of let go of that tension so far. And even as they've been kind of playing up that that sort of persona, their sort of captain persona like you can still see that they are so wire strung, and this is the one moment where, like, it is a an emergency release valve has been pulled, and they're like breathing for the first time. Mm-hmm. And as your laughter sort of spreads through this space, it doesn't echo the way you might expect it to for as large of a change. Like, you can feel space sort of above you and around you, and as the door sort of slips shut behind you, and you hear the latch click, you start to notice there's a there's a a dim light coming from up ahead. It's kind of like a, a yellowish amber sort of hue. Very different color temperature than the the sort of clinical light you just left. And when Ronnie's laughter fades, you hear something just short of an echo. 
<laughs> Somewhere between a laugh and a cough. And it's coming from some distance in front of you. Blessings to you. All you get in return is a wheeze. As it's, it sounds like someone who hasn't used their lungs in far too long. And as your eyes adjust, you can see there's a sort of a, a pathway in front of you. And I call it a pathway because what you can see around you, like to our sensibilities, it really does, as players, it looks like an attic. There's just stuff stacked in here. And it's old stuff. There's drop cloths over things. You see what look like trophies of battles gone by. You see weapons. You see old armor. You see a longship. Like the 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 prow, the dragon-headed prow is like poking out and has, it almost looks like a shroud over its head. And you're able to pick out more and more of these really old details. Like these are from the oldest stories. I would, I know that Groa knows all this stuff and is feeding it. There's like a constant stream of Groa just sort of rumbling about what all this stuff is. Like Groa even recognizes one of the swords specifically from a battle in which he fought. Yes. I just, I'm going to guess that when you were younger, you used to take in a lot of stories. Yeah, Idis has spent a lot of time with, you know, community elders and like doing the kind of community care that that comes from just, you know, sitting down with somebody who maybe even is toward the end of their life, who's who's sharing all of this information and things that they heard, things that have not really served a purpose in the kind of society that we live in now, but which people at a certain point in their life feel this inexplicable urge to pass on. Like Idis has always been the kind of person who will be there in that moment to receive it. So yeah, I think that this is stuff that, you know, I don't have necessarily like a personal connection to, but it does in a lot of ways look exactly like I'd always pictured it. Mm -hmm. And so I've added my first detail to the room that Tier is in, which is the relics of a bygone age. As you are walking closer to this amber light in front of you, what other details do you all have to add to this? I'm going to add visual that I get is that like in this space, as we are walking, I think that we hear like a slight rumbling and like there is there is movement along the walls and we hear like a rumbling and the the wall like they're like portholes open on the walls, essentially, and they open to windows. And what we see, the detail that I'm going to add is that we see natural light, like honest, actual natural light in a kind of way that like I'd be hard pressed to say maybe we've even ever seen before, like natural light in an unnatural space is how I'm going to is how I would describe it. This idea that like Ooh. there is like and it's and we are i think i i am imagining that we are like either underground or like deep enough in a bunker where like we wouldn't be able to see this light but like something is pulling like like natural glowing like moonlight into this space and that's what's like lighting a lot of it that's a lot of the light that we're seeing around is from these like portholes of moonlight that are pulling from some moon that we've never seen that we've never seen and like it's filling the light with like a kind of light that like have you ever have you ever been in a room that has fluorescent light and then stepped into a room with tungsten light and you've seen like the difference in that sort of like mm -hmm. that sort of like mm -hmm. color grading? That's kind of I think the the experience that we're getting even from the bright lights outside like it just like adds a hue to things that doesn't look quite the way that we were that we were used to even a moment ago. Jeff, I kid you not, that was literally going to be the detail I was going to pull is that like there was natural light coming in somewhere and it like I think that there's such an uncanniness to that especially because like you said i mean even like in the like 
small town area that we grew up in, like, we would never have seen the night sky, not in the way that it looks to people who have seen the night sky. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think my detail sort of bouncing off of that idea of this kind of like oddness is that there is another smell in this room that I don't think any of us would actively understand, which is the smell of like an honest to God fire burning. Not mm. like in the way that, you know, a building on fire from or like an electrical fire would smell, which are smells that we would know, mm -hmm. but in the huh. way of like someone having lit like a sconce or a fireplace or something, some sort of like hearth. Wood smoke. Yes, wood smoke that we and Just wood, yeah. none of us have ever smelled this like before. Dry oh, that's so good. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Really that's incredible. Like that. So we've kind of touched on a handful of senses here to really capture the environment of this room, but I I want to add something to the sense of sound. And I think, you know, in addition, because like we're hearing rumbles and feeling rumbles, if, if I'm correct, I think there is a couple layers of what we're hearing. There is the sound of static, like we were, like just the sound of like a static TV, or like there's just white noise kind of permeating the space, you know, which dulls. If there were ever to be an echo, it would have helped dull that. But then I think there's the sound of, like, gentle murmuring. Whatever is being said is indecipherable. But from Aki's perspective, like, like he finds it really... It's akin to what it sounds like when Groa is talking and just kind of... Because, like, Groa makes a thousand plans and commits to zero and does... And, like, they're just constantly planning. They're constantly talking. Mm. And it just sounds like the murmurs of a god. That's incredible. Dime so pleased with all of this damn kind of a cool room to die in <laughs> yeah yeah uh-huh if i had to pick a room to die you know, in, if i ever had to pick a place <laughs> it ain't bad <laughs> i do think i do think as like the visual of the two of you like taking in the relics and like seeing this and idis like processing the stories you've heard and mm -hmm. and 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 Aki, like, really, like, un hearing this and hearing all these stories, I do think there's a moment where Ronnie just, like, walks by someone's like, so it's a room full of old junk? <laughs> all right. <laughs> Closer than it was before as you're walking, you hear... <laughs> <laughs> well, I got one fan. That's all that matters. Uh, I, uh... Okay, don't, don't touch anything. And... The quality of the, the amber light that I described as you proceed changes a little bit. You can see that it's not like a steady... You're used to sort of two kinds of light, right? A light is either on or off, or it's flickering like a neon sign, right? It's obviously a broken thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is a, a variance to this light that we as players would know as a flickering firelight, right? It's as if there was a bonfire lit in front of you. Mm -hmm. From as far away as you were with all of the stuff around and this moonlight coming in, the flickering was difficult to make out. But as you approach, you can see that sort of organic chemical character to it. And you sort of round a corner of, of stuff. And Aki, I think you're on the right side and like you might have your hand in for a moment. You hear or feel Groa give the impression of a tree. Like, is it? If you look over, it almost feels like your hand is on bark, but you look and it's not. It's it's still more stuff. But this space has become liminal as you've walked through it. And you notice like an organic crunch under your feet. The dust has gotten thicker and it's like Groa is, is convinced that you're walking into a forest clearing. 
Aki, you may have no real concept of what a forest is. I I'm sure that, you know, in like anti-corp propaganda, there's talk of the forests. And you all know that that Alfheim, right, the, the, the realm of elves is a big organic place. Have any of you ever left Jotunheim for any of the other realms? No. Ida definitely hasn't. No. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't I didn't think so either. I do think that forest imagery is very big in the resistance. This idea that, you know, uh, energetically or, or spiritually or metaphorically someday, like we'll we'll build things with our own hands and we'll cut down stuff and we'll, you know, we'll we'll make lumber of all of this. But yeah, I don't think any I don't think there's anywhere I would have actually seen one. Then Idis and Ronnie, you two feel like you're walking into a propaganda poster. Is is what it feels like. It looks and feels <laughs> like a forest clearing. If you look up, you see pinpricks of light, like their stars filtering through pine boughs. It's one of those things where if you you see it out of the corner of your eye and you get this impression of this this organic space, and when you look, it's just old stuff. Right? There's a there's a difference. There's a sense of of unreality about it. There's some some veil has been crossed that you I think all previously were unaware existed. Can I give a detail for a second? Please. Something about the way that these possible trees sort of shift out of the corner of, of Idis's eyes and something about the way that the the light of this distant nearby fire like flickers and waves and something about the way that all of this causes shadows to shift reminds them in an uncanny sort of way of sitting with their two friends and Roy in that room where the little holograph projections were being done. Something about this idea of this story being woven around them and these vague images of things that are true, but elevated and things that look like shape, like shapes and, and shifting shadows of some potential thing that hasn't yet come to be. There's this element to it of being in a place that exists primarily only because it's talked about that is really kind of unreal to experience in a tangible way. So the detail I wrote down was an echo of the digital world. Does that encapsulate mm. what you're talking about closely enough? Yeah, okay, cool. I think so. It's this idea of being in a story more than you are in a yeah. place that I think is, is something that feels both like very true to the sort of surreal importance of this mission that they're on, but also the actual physical setting that they find themselves mm -hmm. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you sort of turn the bend on this path you're on, the fire itself becomes clear. And in front of you is a, a fire pit. It's a set of rough stones with big logs burning away. And on the other side of this, and the, I mean, the pit itself is probably four feet in diameter. Like it's, uh, it's sized from more than one person, right? And sitting on the other side of it, uh, cross-legged, with one hand up, 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 on the hilt of a massive two-handed longsword, is this wizened figure with a long grain beard, ribs showing, cleaving to, to spine in the back. And I'm going to leave that imagery and tell you each to give me another detail about Tyr. I think that Tyr's eyes are kind of clouded over in a way that implies both unbelievable age, but also sort of calls to mind this imagery of 
you know, of justice being blind, of of a thing which has sort of forgotten to see the reasons that it set out to protect. But you get the feeling, even as you're looking at these sort of like milky white eyes, that you are still being perceived quite intensely. His eyes are clouded over with age and metaphor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get it. It's a chronic condition. It's terrible. <laughs> the the tear skin, uh, there are branches that kind of like grow out of, of spots Ooh. of them and they kind of like they're, they're 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 long and spindly like like a like a like an oak tree or like a like a like an oak tree in like the winter time so they're these long spindly narrow branches not quite pine not quite pine tree branches where they're like sharp and needly but just like long and windy and twirly and they kind of grow and then they age and they wither and they kind of crumble and like snap off in sort of like a natural cadence. So they're kind of just this always kind of flowing and they're kind of like reaching out in this way that Tear is Tear is everything, right? Tear is connected to all of this data, all of these stories, all of these people. These branches are kind of like reaching, they're reaching for something and then like it, but then that like the weight of it all and the age of it all, like they age rapidly and then crumble into dust. And so it's just constantly seeing little tiny spindling branches growing off and then and withering and falling off. That makes me think of, you know, just that persistent like crackling of dead wood and breaking branches would sound like the fire sounds, which is like a really cool detail. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. As you see that happen, one of the branches falls down onto the fire and continues to feed it. Yes. Quick semantics question. Is is Tyr exclusively he him or are flexible pronoun sets something that we have in common with the gods? Um there are some gods who have flexible pronouns. Tyr is he him. As 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 a point of distinction from the sort of embrace of all things that humanity has has striven for, the gods are locked in patterns in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Love it. Finally, I think Tyr I think Tyr has this mane of hair because like he's a wizened old man i think it's white but they are like it's white and gray and it's streaked that way in like strange leaf-like patterns that kind of lead into part of the skin of the branches even part of this this once probably once magnificent mane now looks just like matted messy like there's tree parts in it it's like like when dry hair gets really crinkly, all, nothing but split ends. But like from our perspective, it's just it's it's a, mm-hmm. it's a wild mm-hmm. mess. And the other thing that I will I'll continue the the sort of sense of unreality of this place as you take in tear and the sort of clearing you find yourselves in. As this firelight flickers and as smoke comes from the fire you get like wobbles where you see not trees of a clearing but the room you're in and part of the amber glow of this place is you are surrounded by hundreds of monitors that as the light flickers you get a sense of the scope of the observation that is happening here you even see another symbol grow a clocks it really easily the symbol of heimdall is sort of etched into this bank of monitors way up at the top because Heimdall is the god of all sight, right? And Heimdall set this up for Tyr so the Panopticon could be the Panopticon. 
Uh, that gets me because I was getting so carried away in this like very cool kind of like intimate and fascinating and like feral woodland setting and then it's like oh no it's all a sinister lie surprise no it's almost like it's a metaphor for the thing we're doing (laughs) and that's what's in front of you the figure on the opposite side of the fire reaches out actually pulls down the hand that's on the sword and the sword stays planted in the ground and it sort of like gestures vaguely to the side and like makes almost like a grabbing motion. And you look over and there is what looks like a traveling pack. Uh, I guess you would know it's it's like a pack of supplies. Mm-hmm. And there's something that looks maybe like a water skin or something on the side of it. And the figure tries to like rise up a little bit. And it's obvious that he cannot move his body and his arm like starts to go down to his side. Have you ever done that thing when you were kids where you stand in a doorway and press your arms to the side of the doorway really hard for about a minute? And then when you step away, your arms raise themselves up automatically because the muscles are tense like that. So Tyr tries to put that arm that was on the sword down and you hear this like creaking and rattling and branches breaking as it goes back up to the sword and clasps it again. Well... If no one else is going to move, I'm going to clump these giant shoes over to that bag and pass him some water. You do so. You get the water skin. He sort of looks up at you a little bit, and there's a mighty crack as he turns his neck, and he sort of opens his mouth. It doesn't look like he can do this himself. Okay. Oh, yeah. Team. Team effort. I mean, if there's one thing that I'm good at, it's being a part of a team. I'm just going <laughs> to... If you could... Don't. Don't. Please don't drown. I'm just trying to help. And I'm going to try and, like, pour, like, a gentle amount of water. You do. And and he begins to drink. And it doesn't all go in his mouth. Some of it spills down his beard. But the portions where the water touches, the sort of organic tree-like, leaf-like, bark-like nature, like you see water spill down his beard and the leaves, the leaf patterns in his beard flare green as water hits them and life goes in. And as he drinks his body actually begins to fill out a little a little bit and not more than just a little bit like you keep pouring aki and pouring and pouring there's no way this skin has this much water in it it's still you've got like two hands on it and the the bladder of it is still full and pouring and he's drinking and drinking and as his body begins to like reconstitute he eventually lifts up his other hand and there's no cracking this time and he takes the skin from you and pulls his other hand down and holds it and oh. just begins. He actually can close his lips around the nozzle now. And he begins pulling in mighty drafts of water. You can literally see him swallow and his body expands. And all of the desiccation falls away. But the, the branches that Jeff described become no more firm. They're still brittle and reaching out for connections that they cannot make. So after, I'm going to say a solid two or three minutes of him just drinking, he puts down, he puts down the water skin and those eyes that Alex described, they're still clouded over. They still look like you can't see, but the gaze feels even more sharp and piercing. And he sort of pins you with that gaze, Aki. Did you stay next to him or? Oh yeah, the whole time. Okay. (laughs) Kind of like murmuring like words of encouragement. Like, there you go. You got it. Oh, don't. Yeah. No, you know what? You making a mess is not a terrible idea. Oh, that's a really pretty branch. Way to go. You got this. He hands the water skin back to you. Please. 
You can put that back now. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Can I peek inside that bag as I'm kind of, like, putting this inside? Is there anything of note? Like, Oh, yeah, it, it looks like a... Like, you would think of, like, a D&D Viking travel pack, right? Like, there, there's uh, an oiled cloth to keep the water off that's sort of wrapped around the whole thing. If you, like, lift it up a little bit, you can see there's provisions of cheese and dried meat, dried fish, especially lots of dried fish. There's uh, rough-spun clothing. It all looks to be pretty well put together. But, like, you know, there's, there's a whetstone and oil for a blade. Like, it looks like the pack of someone who knows how to pack for a journey. Okay. Yeah, and as soon as uh, as soon as she puts that that water skin away, Aki is going to kind of like shuffle back to to their companions. Like, okay, um, now, now what do we do? Well, my first recommendation would have not been to conjure the god into a form that was triple the size, but uh, we'll we'll play by ear from here. I mean, they were thirsty. Yeah, this this dude is ripped, right? He is he literally is the size of all three of you now like he is he is muscular he looks hale and hearty oh dear. <laughs> but he takes a deep breath in and scientifically you know that oxygen is required for a fire to burn he's literally pulling the air out of the room and as he breathes out the fire does not get larger it stays at a manageable size such that if you were to sit on the other side of it from him you would be able to converse his hand is still up on this sword, right? He, he still hasn't really moved it. And he just sort of gestures for the three of you to sit. Not what I expected, but I guess we should, I guess we follow suit. Idis, after you. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll sit the closest to him. Sitting and chatting is more your thing than mine. Well, who are we to turn down the most hospitable gesture that we'll likely ever see in our lives? I mean, it might be the last if that's, no, that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, if we if we if we go out with a friendly conversation, there are worse ways to go. It's true. My last conversation, I was yelling at everybody. So this is hopefully going to be an improvement. Idis sits down on the log across from Tyr and sort of nods their head in a way that indicates, you know, deference and gratitude, and just says, "Thank you for sharing your fire." It was the way once. Uh, Ronnie, get get over here. Come sit down with us. Yeah, okay, fine, 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 fine. And I kind of reluctantly come and sit next to next to Aki. So this is terrifying, right? We're, we're terrified, right? I mean, yes, but Groa is also pretty pretty calm, which is weird. I should probably be worried. Okay, all right, all right, all right. It's fine, it's fine. It's all good. It's all good. It's all yeah, good. I'm Ronnie yeah. Kurt. This is great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then back to Tyr. They're gonna kind of like try to straighten their back and make as much eye contact as possible. Thank you for uh, letting us sit at your fire. Um, could, could you tell us more about h- how this was the way? The, the way of what? When you make eye contact with Tyr, now that his, his self is sort of like rejuvenated, <laughs> mm-hmm. and this is specifically for, for Aki, mm-hmm. because the other two of you have not like made direct eye contact with him in this moment. Aki? What's the worst thing you've ever done? Iron Edder Reforged is a production of the One Shot Podcast Network in conjunction with the other dev productions. Written and designed by Tracy Barnett. Performed by Alex Flanagan, B. Zelda, and Jeff Stormer. Editing by Jupiter Aquas. We're coming to the end of it. This is the first episode 
of the final two sessions that we've recorded of Ironetta Reforged. I am so, so very happy with how all of this has turned out. We get into this, we do a breakdown at the end of our final recording, so that'll be, what, three episodes from now, where we talked about what this has meant to us and how we have approached doing all of this. I'll just say in in, in, in brief right now that everything that has happened here with Reforged has absolutely exceeded my expectations. I wanted to make a good game with people that I respect and trust and (laughs) it's gone so much better than I could have ever imagined I'm so happy with all of this as this is posting on on this Tuesday February 8th I need all of you to know that one week from today on the one shot network twitch channel which is twitch.tv slash one shot rpg a new series of iron editor reforged is starting it is in the bubble, and it features B. Zelda, who you know from this show. It features Danny, Brutal Dan, on Twitter. And it features Big Bees, who if you listen to the One Shot podcast, you have heard perform on The Price of Coal. Fantastic. All of them. And we are going to be doing a live-streamed seven-episode series of Ironetta. That's the exact same amount of recording sessions that we had for Reforged here on Puppet Strings, and they're going to be taking down the god Mimir in the archive. So I'm really excited for you to hear all of this. If streams are not your thing, that's fine. We're going to be capturing all of the audio from those sessions, and it's going to get edited down into podcast form, and it's going to go up on this feed. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be happening contiguously with the feed or if there's going to be like a seven-week break and then the audio is going to start happening. It really just depends on how much time I can take to do that editing because that is work I'm going to have to do myself. So this is coming to the end of this. Um, It's been a hell of a journey and I cannot wait for you to hear what comes next. So look forward to these last three episodes following this one. Look forward to Puppet Strings, not Puppet Strings, apologies. Look forward to In the Bubble starting next week. I look forward to seeing you on the One Shot Twitch channel. We'll catch you then. Bye. If you enjoyed this show, you should check out some of the other shows on the One Shot Podcast Network. Shows like Campaign Skyjacks. Campaign Skyjacks takes place in an original setting inspired by folktales and classic adventure fiction. James D'Amato leads Liz Anderson, John Patrick Cohen, Tyler Davis, Johnny O'Mara, and, in recent episodes, Nathan Blades, as they tell a tale of daring sky pirates, giant birds, and the terror of a cursed sea. It's funny, dramatic, and at times emotionally devastating. Just search for Campaign Skyjacks or James D'Amato on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app.